Hi, I'm Louise. And I'm John. And you're listening to the DCIF podcast, Changing World, New Opportunities, an investment podcast designed for members of the DC community. We'll be chatting with asset managers who are all passionate about DC and getting investment right for the members. Investments in DC have changed a lot, so we'll be helping you, the listener, to stay up to date with the latest, from real estate to alternatives, the challenges of trusteeship through to addressing climate change. This first series will focus on the changing world we find ourselves in and the exciting investment opportunities for DC plans. Keep up to date with our work at dcif.co.uk, where you can sign up to receive our research and get invitations to our launches. You can also follow us on Twitter at DCIF underscore UK and on LinkedIn, where we are the Defined Contribution Investment Forum. Fantastic. Let's get on with the show. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I am very well as well, thank you. I think by the time this goes out, we will have just launched our brand new research. How exciting. So this is a special bonus episode um, with an interview with the report author, Nico Aspinall, and we are talking about his new TCFD research, which we would have just published, will be kind of hot on the heels of that research launch. So hopefully this will be a good one to listen to if you couldn't make the research launch, but also hopefully a nice little summary um, and a bit more of a deep dive, we were saying, John, into some of the themes that Nico might not have covered. Yeah, and you know, TCFD reporting for pension schemes full stop and DC schemes in particular is a really interesting topic. And I'm having been involved in collecting the data for our own TCFD report, I was really interested in a big champion of this type of report or research report because it's a fascinating area. And I think it's fair to say that it's whilst most people accept it's the right thing to be doing and so everyone's on board with that, it is challenging. And so this report sort of fleshes out some of those challenges talk to some key stakeholders throughout the value chain, pension schemes, scheme advisors, regulators, that type of stuff. So it's a real fascinating insight into different perspectives on, on the TCFD report. Definitely. And you were just saying um, when we were chatting before this that we're doing another report with Nico. Yep. Do you want to tell, tell the listeners anything about that? Yeah. So again, it's when we spoke to Nico initially, you know, he was really, really thrilled to be doing something else because I think it's a, a subject close to his heart as well. But it's not something that you could really do justice in one report because there's so many aspects and facets of it that that we think do need to be covered. Um, so we're looking at each master trust, or sorry, a selection of TCFD reports and sort of doing a bit of a deeper dive on them, looking at similarities, differences. I think it's definitely something that's worth exploring because there, there will be a slightly different approach taken by the different, whether it's the sort of the newer entrance to the DC space, whether it's the consultant-led master trust, provider-led master trust. So it'll be really interesting and fascinating to see the differences that, that come through that. So maybe sound a little bit geeky, but I'm really looking forward to the report when it comes out later this year. Yeah, definitely. So uh, keep tuned for that um, in the summer 2023. Some beach uh, time reading, I imagine. <laughs> For me too. Can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. And we will move into the episode. Enjoy. Nico, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's very nice to have you. Delighted to be here. First of all, just in case people haven't come across you before, tell us a bit about who you are. Sure. I've been 15 years in the defined contribution industry now. I started as a DB pensions actuary, but saw the light relatively soon. I started at Deloitte and they put me in as a secondi into Barclays and I loved it. Behavioral finance was happening. Barclays, I think, were quite ahead of the curve in 2007, 8. But it was good that people use a principal fund, a default fund, 
it would be better if people contributed more and took advantage of the matched contributions. There was a lot of work to be grasping that strategy all yeah. ahead of auto-enrollment. I've been an investment consultant with uh, Towers Watson, so I was the head of DC Investment Consulting. I've been the chief investment officer of People's Pension, or BNCE, who runs the People's Pension. I say took it from $3 billion to $17 billion when I left. Obviously, <laughs> that's really members' contributions. I've worked as the CIO of a startup impact firm, so trying to do impact-only investments into the DC industry. And lately, I've been running my own consulting business, so Nico Aspinall Consulting. Mixture of work for investment managers, providers, increasingly some of the operational services. And I think I put on my website, if it's interesting, I'm interested. So getting pulled in lots of different, really interesting pockets of the DC industry. So we have worked together before a few Mm. times. You did some research for us a few years ago, looking at different master trusts and the way they're invested. And obviously, we know that sustainability is a subject which is very close to your heart. And so when we decided that we were going to do some research into TCFD reporting, you seemed like the natural person to call. And it just so happened that you were just going freelance and setting up your own consulting business at the time. So that all worked out really beautifully, didn't it? Yeah, the stars aligned. When I qualified as an actuary, I bemoaned to one of my actuarial friends that I couldn't do anything in sustainability as an actuary. And he mm. said, no, 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 no. There's this thing called, at the time, the Resource and Environment Board. And this is the kind of center of excellence for the IFWA, so the Institutes and Faculty of Actuaries, to talk about things like climate change. So I was kind of volunteering on climate change for a long time. And really, in the last five years, I guess, the DC world and the sustainability world have been coming together. So now I can work on DC and sustainability uh, through projects like this. It's fantastic. So the reason we thought we should invite you on today is to talk about the new TCFD research that we are launching. And in fact, by the time this podcast comes out, it will have launched yesterday, which is quite weird when you think about it. Today, we're going to talk through the big ticket findings, I suppose. And yeah, without giving away too much, we're going to talk about the the key themes in the report and hopefully encourage everyone to go and read. So TCFD reporting, we thought it'd be good to report because obviously it's very new at the moment for pension schemes and Like with most things the DCIF does, we want to try and shine lights on things that aren't that well understood or where we think things could be better. And TCFD reporting for pension schemes kind of ticks all of those boxes right now. So we wanted to do a report which hopefully will help other pension schemes to get to grips with TCFD reporting and also to raise some wider questions about how it's going for pension schemes and if there's anything that needs to be worked on at all at industry level or at regulatory level. Tell us a bit about the process of doing the report. What feels really innovative to me is the way that we've gone around the industry to talk to lots and lots of different stakeholders about TCFD reporting in in defined contribution. It's not just about the schemes and the consultants, although they're in there. So we spoke to Nest and Fidelity as master trusts and to Barnett Waddingham as someone who might use TCFD reporting to support employers selecting master trusts and Hyman's Robertson as a consultant supporting writing TCFD and climate strategies. But we've also spoken to the DWP. Are you getting from this what you're hoping? TPR, so the pensions regulator, what are you starting to see as you start to analyze this? And the UK SIF, the Sustainable Investment Forum, around the industry. And then, of course, not least, the DCIF members. Very interesting roundtable with, I think, four or five different companies represented talking through how does this sit in the climate strategy of the business? 
How are you finding it dealing with DC and all of these new climate data requests that are coming up? Really interesting process. The first thing that struck me is just how nice people are when you talk to them about their pet topics. I think particularly the sustainability side. There's a real community there who they understand that we're in a climate emergency, that the financial system has a part to play in the transition, and they dedicated their careers to supporting that working as efficiently as possible. So from all of those different sides, I think you just get this unity of purpose and understanding that, yeah, there might be some competitive boundaries around here, but actually it's better that we're able to talk about it and not keep stuff secret to ourselves. So yeah, it's really rewarding going around the industry with a topic like that. Do you think this is one of the first instances where all stakeholders are aligned with the ultimate outcome? You mentioned you've been in the pensions for 15 odd years. Can you think of anything in your work experience where everyone is genuinely pushing, pulling in the same direction? Or is this the first, do you think? I look at auto-enrollment and think there is a lot of similarity in that, but it is quite different in auto-enrollment because essentially you've got an industry who had been through this behavioral finance, is it choice or inertia discussion? We want people to retire, but they don't have access to a pension scheme or they're not taking advantage of the pension scheme. So it felt like at that moment, the industry was behind the Pensions Commission's finding and the Pensions Act 2008. But we were talking to this new community of 2 million employers who had never offered a pension before. And so you're going outside of the industry to do that. It is similar. I would say that I don't know that the topic everybody agrees on, the what it means and the implementation, I think there's still a lot of discussion to come through there. And we didn't speak to any trustee, particularly, I'd say, the single employer trustees. I do wonder if there's still that fiduciary duty overhang, which would be, we recognize it's a climate emergency and things need to be done, but it's not our job to do it. So we didn't have any of those voices in the selection of the interviewees, and mostly because they're not preparing TCFD yet. It does feel like there's a great cohesion, and maybe I'll come on to some of the findings, but it's also sort of around the need to do the first three bits of the four in TCFD, which are around the governance strategy targets. And that is sort of the easy stuff. The putting into effect the actual climate transition into your portfolio and reporting on how you're doing it, that's the difficult stuff. And I guess the first finding is this is very much work in progress. So the dedication to do the work absolutely is there. Whether that will start to see people pointing at each other commercially and saying, actually, you're, you're doing it wrong, yet to be seen. You've started, you've tantalizingly alluded to some <laughs> of the findings. Tell us everything. Tell us more about the key findings of the report. I guess the sense of what the purpose of TCFD is, was really around that governance challenge. I think pretty much unanimous, why are we doing this? It's about making sure that the trustee boards have an understanding that it's their responsibility to deal with climate risk for their members. And just that first pass achieved. I think that's really important, particularly when I talked to the DWP, there was a sense that people weren't taking this seriously until that requirement to do TCFD came through. And I know Des Healy, who I interviewed there, I think was really comforted by the progress the industry is making because it's now on that radar. I think that's the first finding there. The second one is just around the timing. The schemes are basically reporting ahead of the companies on TCFD on some of these climate measures, proper scope one, two, three emissions. There is an acknowledgement that it's a bit messy. In a perfect world, you would have started with the companies. But again, 
really unanimous. It's much better that we just make a start, get going on this. To some extent, that's going to stimulate the companies to do this reporting dot, dot, dot better. Without that asset owner pressure, it wouldn't work as well. It's not perfect, but it's better than waiting five, 10 years for everybody to have data because it will be too late. Really good consensus on that. The third point was just around data itself. Partly because those companies are not reporting, there is a lot of estimated numbers going into TCFD reports. So scope one and two emissions, what you burn yourself, what your supply chain burns. There's reasonable data on that. It's far from ubiquitous that you can just pull a number for any company, particularly smaller companies, emerging markets companies, and culturally different countries, I think, are further ahead or behind on that journey. But particularly for scope three, which is essentially the wider emissions that your company's activities cause, there's very poor data on that. So a lot of the numbers going into reports are estimated. And if you think about some of the unlisted markets, private markets, there are situations, it seems, where you're asking the question to the manager, the manager's producing an estimate. To some extent, some of the consulting insights was actually just give us data and maybe it'd be better if we had one estimate set than pulling together lots of different sources where there might be orders of magnitude difference in some of these estimates. I think data is a big concern. And again, that messiness of the implementation will probably drive better transparency, better data analysis there. I'm just going to jump in and ask about data. Mm -hmm. We're on the round table of investment managers that Nico interviewed. How has the implementation process been for you? It was challenging, but I think that's the same from the round table. That was a sense we got from the other managers that were taking part as well. And just anecdotally from wider DCIF members, it's difficult for, and I think this came through in Nico's report, getting data for public equity and public credit, pretty straightforward. There might be subtle differences in the approach you take, but it's pretty easy, he says, with a small E to get that data. <laughs> the real challenges for those portfolios that had private market allocations in, and given that the first wave was to target schemes above 5 billion, the inference being they are the more sophisticated ones, so more likely to actually have some private market allocations already. So then it's how do you actually try and get some data, if indeed you can. And that's where estimations, proxies came in. But I think the wording for TCFD reporting was as far as you're able to, or words to that effect. So that was a really good sort of get out of jail card for managers saying, look, here's what we've got. It's estimated. It's based on the sector this particular entity operates in. So it's a pretty good indication, but it's not data specific to that particular asset. But again, from the round table and speaking to other members, technology is a key determinant of the ability for us to generate the right type of data going forward. And that's something we're heavily doing at, at Aberdeen at the moment. I was actually on a call today with our technology dudes trying to figure out what the system can actually generate for our own staff scheme's second TCFD report. So just trying to figure out what information is going to be generated and when it will be generated. Sounds complicated. It's where people swing into action, isn't it? People like complicated. There'll be personality types within yeah. all of your businesses where that's great. I think technology will play a, a really important part because it's changing. There are changes that have been made in terms of what's required TCFD from years one to two. So the introduction of the fourth metric mm -hmm. and there's three different approaches and do you then have a house view or do you just try and generate all three but explain why you think one might be better than the other? That's where you really need technology to help you out. And it sounds like that's what asset managers are investing in. Thank you. Nico, back to your key points. One of the pieces that the schemes need to do is some scenario analysis. 
there was this moment where the pensions regulator had this raised eyebrow where they essentially said some of these scenarios just look a bit off. And it's fair to say it's early days in their thinking. We'll have to see how best practice emerges. But I think really interesting interview with the pensions regulator. You contrast the regulatory process for like the chair's statement where a series of fines were handed out for, I think, what the industry would think to be very, very minor transgressions with very little ability to kind of correct them. I think the regulator has learned this is the moment to get collaboration, to let the industry develop how it thinks it should be doing these things and to let best practice emerge. But nonetheless, there was this kind of raised eyebrow over some of the scenarios that are going in. And I can't do the direct quote, but it's something like if you're looking at a four degree scenario and you think you're going to have basis points impact in your portfolio by 2050, then something's gone wrong there. There is more work to be done in getting a better series of models on scenario analysis. And I know various people are looking at that. A kind of healthy cynicism over some of the pieces that are coming out of the scenario analysis, I think, was one of the findings. Just thinking about the role of the pension scheme. And this is where maybe some people, particularly in the green community, might be a bit disappointed. There's a sort of self-image of that kind of role for the trustees for these schemes, by and large, to be doing engagement. So we're not seeing huge shifts in portfolios as a result of climate change. I think we are seeing stewardship step up a notch. I think we're seeing people being particularly asking their managers, go out, talk to these companies, make sure they have an appropriate science-based target. John was the one bit of technical language that I needed to kind of put put more words around with the scale-based, are you from carbon aware to carbon influencer, climate aware to carbon influencer? That's all good stuff. But I think maybe if you come at this as a climate change activist, then you'll be disappointed to see. Essentially, the industry is still talking about climate change. And maybe you would be hoping that there would be more action taking place across the industry. There are definitely pockets in individual schemes who are kind of further ahead on that narrative. That sort of sense that really the best thing you can be doing now is making sure that you engage. And on the flip side, I think there are people who are worried about divestment, disinvesting from polluting companies, polluting industries, with a narrative which says, well, look, you're not changing emissions of those companies 100%. Maybe what you're doing is depressing the share price, making them a target for private equity, and private equity is going to do nothing to change those industries, change those companies either. So better that you kind of talk, hold people to account for what they're saying, put climate change onto the board agenda of those companies and the CEOs and ideally into their pay packets and all that kind of stuff. That is really where engagement comes in. It's not a shock to me, but I do think if you're probably in that kind of green community, you might read the report and go, oh, what is this really as far as we've got? But you wouldn't really understand how radical it actually has been because I think there has been a huge amount of progress. Well, it's like trying to teach someone a new language, isn't it? Bringing TCFD into the pension community. There's all this jargon we've all got to get our head around. There's all these data requirements. It's highly technical. I don't want to sound like I'm apologizing. I'm not involved, but it does strike me from the outside that it would be quite intense and laborious as a new process to go through. One thing that really struck me reading through your introduction particularly was the comment you made about the audience. I don't know if it's just because I'm a journalist and I've always got audiences in my head, but you said it didn't strike you that there was an obvious intended audience for the TCFD reports. Do you want to talk a bit more about that? 
I haven't yet looked at what the average number of pages of these reports are, but I'd imagine it'd be in the 40s. The first, let's say 75% of that is we understand it exists, climate change. We understand it's material. We understand we have to do something about it. There's a trustee board. There's an investment subcommittee. There's a an executive management committee who looks at this and coordinates between that and the operations and the communications. And it's quite boring. I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's quite boring. I can't see many members wading through those 30 pages to get very delicate language around what we're doing. I think the insight from the EBCs, from talking to Barnett Wingham, they've got their own questionnaire that goes and asks the master trusts about their portfolios and their sustainability, ESG, climate change commitments. That's more real-time data for them than a TCFD could ever provide because there's obviously lag that comes through to it. The regulators are obviously reading them as compliance documents and not yet as how are we doing on climate change. You're kind of left without this home of someone who's going to be reading it cover to cover, except people like me and the DCIF wanting to commission that comparative reporting as a stimulus to say, do you understand that the trustees are responsible for climate risk? I think it's really worked. As an exercise which produces 40 pages, I don't know what that is, 20,000 words, a whole bunch of numbers. I don't think anyone's going through that in detail. What we also haven't seen is member versions of this. There is literature that I think all of the master trusts produce on climate change for members to read. TCFD isn't really intended for that. It sort of sits in a slightly awkward place where it's the journey. I feel like a consultant again, but it's about the journey. It's about the process of doing the thinking, of making the commitments that the TCFD kind of forces you through. The actual document feels like it's, I don't know, it's not the purpose. It almost feels like a risk document, doesn't it, to some extent? Mm. It sits on the risk register and it's a risk of the scheme rather than actually being seen as understand your risks. And then let's use that to transform the pension scheme into something that's actually going to do something really, really good. And I wonder if there's risk mitigation at this juncture. But you're right, these TCFD reports are 60, 70 pages long. And the first chunk of it is actually just reminding people what TCFD is, the four sections and all this type of stuff. So it's actually quite dry reading. And then you get through to these numbers and you've got wackies versus absolute emissions and the portfolio alignment, climate scenario analysis, it's very heavy going. And even for us who in the investment world, getting used to new terminology, what it actually means, then actually trying to understand that it's not the full picture. Will people say, well, I'm going to wait till I get the full picture so I can truly understand what we may or may not need to do. So it's difficult, I think. And we published our own one on our website, which you have to do. I'm not sure how many people downloaded it. I think if they probably counted the number of downloads, I'd be there three or four times. (laughs) Because I forgot where I actually stored the document when I downloaded it the first time. So I'm not sure how often it would be downloaded. But I was chatting to someone at the event we were at last week and they're involved in member comms and they're looking at how they can try and take something like a TCFD report and make it member friendly. Bridging it is incredibly important, particularly if you want to get members bought in to what the pension scheme is, where it is now and what it aspires to do. So I think that's important to try and understand what the pension scheme wants to do going forward, which may differ, go back to your earlier point, Nick, it may differ actually from master trust to master trust, provider to provider. So it'll be interesting to see what they actually do with that information and whether it results in new allocations, new SA, new SAA design. I think that's the, the interesting bit for us. There's no doubt that 
the industry thinks, the, the master trust think that talking about sustainability, ESG, climate change is engaging for members. Whether that's a negative engagement, which is people fear the climate transition and unmitigated climate risk and are relieved. They go negatively to just see how bad is it and they see that their master trust is doing something about it. That's kind of positive where maybe more into the infrastructure. Here's a windmill on your member booklet that you own a little bit of a wind turbine or solar farm or going into impact and ESG kind of more broadly. You know, here is the, the social housing and the people that you take off the streets. So there's no doubt that the industry says it's engaging, but the TCFD report itself, I think is going to be massively disengaging because if you came with that expectation, tell me simply what on earth my pension scheme is doing in the real world. And you receive 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 pages of jargon, new jargon, climate change jargon. I don't think you're going to wade through that. I think you could be switched off very quickly. Somewhere in there is a whole bunch of our subjective models being made objective, where can you compare one wacky to another? As soon as you put a number on something, it sounds like it's an objective number. But of course, this is a projection into the future of the impact of something which climate scientists disagree on. So you get into this really awkward territory. And when I was doing more of the comms and engagement side, if it's not clear to me what someone might do with the information, then it feels a little dangerous. Am I reading that because I don't like the default and might go into a sustainable fund that you have in the self-select? That's an outcome we can talk about. Do I, as a trustee, want you to go into that sustainable fund? That will very much differ from trust to trust. The member gets no choice of what scheme they're in, so they can't really do the comparison between schemes. So if they read a report and say, oh, I don't like this default, you're obviously a bad provider, there's a big risk they opt out. And it may be that that makes them feel better, but they're not going to retire if they don't make pension contributions. So there's all of these other things that sit around engagement full stop. The TCFD, I don't think, is going to solve any of that. One of the pieces that we came on to, which isn't kind of strictly in scope, was talking about biodiversity and natural capital. And there is the TNFD, so that will be the Task Force for Natural Capital-Related Financial Disclosures. There's a big risk that we get this alphabet soup of reports that take the internal team and the consultant a lot of time and money to go and generate, which are baked in this jargon that from the outside, nobody can really understand. And then nobody really reads. Is that going to change the world? I don't know. And that's why I think there might be a little bit of disappointment from the green community, because I think the expectation is if you come at this as a retail person, you're used to being able to make choices. And the DC world, the default inertia world is different to that. I don't know that the DWP and the pensions regulator see that. I don't know. I think that'll be an interesting question. We should be past tense. Maybe when we have the event, we can ask those two kind of what they think about who should be reading this. You've sort of led us quite neatly into what we think could happen next in terms of TCFD. TCFD, what's next? The sequel. (laughs) Do we see TCFD and TNFD becoming two sides of the same coin? Could we have a new chapter in TCFD reports? TNFD, could the two merge? Could we have some more exciting, engaging TCFD reports? To me, there's a business there making TCFD reports more fun, a bit like what happened with the single page annual statement. Tell me more. What could happen next? My crystal ball has many different paths here. So I think there is one which says the process we're in now is the industry starting to share some of its internal thinking. And who is reading those TCFD reports? Maybe it's the other master trusts, um, the consultants who are advising the other master trusts. So there's a little bit of we've shared our thinking. What's your thinking? 
the regulator sitting over the top of that and saying, oh, have you looked at what these guys are doing? Because we think that's best practice. And I think in the next couple of years, the regulator will start to do that. So over time, there could well start to be a bit of consensus around how schemes should be reporting these things and what they should be doing as a result of that. I think we should be disappointed if we're not starting to see that in two, three, four years' time. Really, until then, I think we're still really talking about climate change and climate risk and the role of schemes and all of that good stuff. I sort of feel there will be some early movers who have got there already, and I won't name names, but we can probably all think of different master trusts who have climate change-aware brands. You could see some competitive pressure on the other master trusts to follow suit. It's about consensus of what should you be doing as a master trust or a DC scheme? Are there manager brands who are particularly good at this or bad at this? That movement of the industry actually addressing climate risk and the transition, I think, has to be the big part of the crystal ball. In the UK, we hope to a large extent that essentially the industry sorts itself out. We believe in a free market and pressure will do this. And so information is there to facilitate competition. But the PRI, so the Principles for Responsible Investment, they talk about the inevitable policy response, which is when that free market hypothesis doesn't result in us addressing climate change anything as quick as it should. And therefore, you get carbon taxes. Maybe that just shifts the balance, shifts the playing field without the institution really needing to wake up to this. Maybe you get initiatives like being forced to disclose what proportion of your assets are in UK domiciled, unlisted infrastructure, addressing the climate change. Maybe you get those additional informational measures on schemes as well. Maybe you liberate some of the choice mechanisms so employers are compelled to think about this so that members can vote with their feet and go into trusts and other places which they feel are reporting better on this. So I think those two pieces are probably the biggies. In terms of getting people better able to understand what's going on, I mean, I've been looking at this for 15 years. I'm not sure I fully understand what's going on. I think that's a big ask. I think it's a big risk that people take a headline sticker price and it's actually the levels below that which determine whether it's good, bad, and different. And so we're seeing with the greenwashing concerns from the FCA, they really don't want people in European language claiming Article 9 when they're really Article 6 and it's just some other language that's going on there. I think there is a bit of a caveat vendor of how you say your scheme is addressing climate risk and whether you say it's a sustainable scheme or a green scheme. And we'll start to see, I think, some people being pinged for that. So actually, you said you were doing lots on climate change. Industry says you're not doing that much. You need to think very deeply about your marketing and potentially there's some fines and redress that could come, again, without thinking of any particular master trust that that might apply to. TNFD, we should watch out for TIFD. So that's the inclusion task force. I think there's a big risk that you kind of create this separate cottage industry of making reports for reports sake, where on climate change, I'd really struggle to find a trustee board that said it's not a material financial risk. On biodiversity, I don't know. On inclusion and some of the wider ESG and social impact type discussions, don't know, doubt it. There's a big corpus of thinking that needs to be done where you go, it's about the time horizon, it's about somebody having money to spend on a planet that enables them to spend it and to live on it. And there's a whole set of beliefs there that just reporting, just filling out someone's job to write up and write up and write up just won't achieve. So 
I think there's a risk that we believe that more and more reports lead to more and more activity. But in fact, the activity we might be generating is writing reports and not really doing anything in the portfolio. So how we address that paradigm shift and the beliefs, I don't know. So I always seem to come back to in DC. <laughs> Just thinking about some of that, could you get to a point, you think, where value for money also includes some kind of benefit for society, the world. So it's not just about the pot of money you have at the end. It's actually the contribution that has made to something, society, the world, pandas in China or something like that. I know it's difficult to quantify, but could you see once a framework's developed that that would be a natural extension or a second iteration of the framework? I'm glad you mentioned value for money because it enables me to talk about my podcast. Darren Philp and myself, we've been talking about value for money this year. So I think we're on episode 11. By the time this goes out, it's 12 or 13, I don't know. The big debate in the value for money consultation is essentially to what extent past performance is indicative of value for money. And a lot of these things, in my view, would sit in that prospective uh, forward-looking performance measures, not least the quality of the institution making investment decisions. So when you talk to the active managers, talk about sustainability as an input into good decision-making as opposed to sustainability as potentially a constraint on the portfolio that you can actually own. That input, it's another set of risks. How can you feel you make better decisions if you exclude some of the risks that you might be exposed to? That feels like it's impossible to make that argument. How you put that into a report, whether it's a VFM report or a TCFD report, and says, because we're more sustainable in our outlook and the data we think about, we're going to get better returns in future. And that's why we've credited ourselves 50 basis points of our equities are going to be 50 basis points better than passive or better than the industries. However, we're going to shake down those measures. I think it's really difficult. I think we need to point out the trust deficit in pensions. And the more you talk about things that you can't evidence, the harder this is. TPR, DWP, FCA, they're absolutely on that page. They want numbers which relate to real things. But there's a big risk that we just believe that past performance is indicative of future performance. So that kind of quality, best inputs going into quality process must, we believe, create best outputs. At the moment, we're still, I think, at the inputs piece. And how you assess the kind of quality of decision-making, I think, is really, really squidgy, subjective stuff that it seems like the DWP doesn't like very much. They want numbers. Give us the evidence. <laughs> Give us the evidence. We'll close you if you don't provide the evidence which conforms to our way of thinking about how you should be doing this. So this is going to be a debate that we have over the next decade. This is not going to get resolved by this one consultation. Various people might be able to tip the scales towards their way of thinking about those quality and sustainability measures. I think there's a risk that that stifles innovation with people who think about it differently. And between retail pensions and institutional pensions, there's a lot of unintended consequences that can come here. If we set up the country to have one objective, which is essentially to go through the transition, to meet our Paris Agreement commitments, then maybe all of the unintended consequences are a bias of all of our pensions towards Nest. Or maybe it's a bias towards retail or all sorts of points in between. I do think there's a lot of care that needs to be taken here. And no doubt that will feel very slow to people like me who have been thinking about climate change for decades, but I dare say it will be a better process and we'll be a better industry as a result. Well, I feel like we've kept you probably long enough on almost the eve of publication. I'm looking forward to it coming out, just finishing up edits at the moment, but exciting times. Thank you so much for working on it with us and thanks for chatting to us today. 
You've been listening to Changing World New Opportunities, brought to you by the DC Investment Forum. Head over to dcif.co.uk, where you can read all the research the DCIF publishes, follow the DCIF on Twitter and LinkedIn, and subscribe to this show on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Changing World New Opportunities. Thank you.